Educators in four Massachusetts school districts went on strike this year. They asked for wage increases, class size adjustments, and better workplace conditions, among other things. Of course, going on strike is against state law for public employees of this nature, and walking out of the building meant walking into hot water with the government. Less than one-fifth of the country allows teachers to strike in the context of collective bargaining, but new bills on Beacon Hill seek to add the Bay State to that list. It'll be a heavy lift. Previous legislative efforts died a quiet death without coming up for a vote, and even the new Democratic governor, Maura Healey, has indicated such a bill would leave her desk with a veto rather than a signature. I'm Jennifer Smith with Commonwealth Magazine, and this week we're getting into public employee strikes. I'm joined by Senator Becca Rausch and Tom Scott, Executive Director of the Massachusetts Association of School Superintendents. Thank you both for being here. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Senator, you've put forward a bill that would allow some public employees to go on strike. We'll get into the details of that bill in a moment, but for now, why did this seem like the right time to file the legislation? This bill's actually been previously filed. Um, I filed it Uh, I first filed it last session, um, and I think there have been various different iterations over several sessions. Um, Last session, it was a pretty quiet bill, and then at the beginning of this session, all of a sudden, it was a very loud bill. Um, And so uh, there's been a real, clearly a real shift in the attention um, on public employees and um, particularly unionized public employees, uh, and I think that's, you know, that's part of why this conversation Um, has uh, increased so much in magnitude over the last several months. And Tom, what has the past year looked like for you in terms of teacher strikes in Massachusetts, Uh, the recent ones in Haverhill and Woburn come to mind? Well, I guess the way I would look at it is we've certainly seen an uptick in the number of strikes this year, um, significantly greater than we've probably seen in my 20 years being in this position. Uh, so clearly there's something uh, afoot in terms of uh, the concerns that are out there um, and the need for um, some of these districts to go on strike based on the conflict that they have with, with the negotiation process. So, um, yeah, I would say that there's certainly a, a significant difference uh, in what we're seeing. And we're certainly seeing a big difference in the relationship between the union and management. Uh, you know, with school committees, superintendents, uh, we've seen a, a, a significant uptick there in terms of the way that relationship seems to be struggling in a number of these districts, particularly where there's collective bargaining taking place. What dynamics have been interesting to you, Senator, as you've been kind of watching this sort of uptick in strikes over the past few years, either in terms of the relationships that Tom mentions or in terms of what the demands might be? I think there are a couple of things that are striking to me, or at least noteworthy for me, that that kind of stick out in my mind just as a, uh, not only as a senator and the lead filer on this bill, but but also as a parent of kids in public schools, um, and the only mom of kids under 10 in the entirety of the Senate. Um, I think that you know teachers want to teach, and every, every time I hear from teachers, um, they're pretty consistent across the board. You know, they didn't get into this for other reasons. They got into this line of work because they want to teach. They want to be in the in the classrooms with kids, engaging with students and helping them learn and grow and thrive. Um, not just in a very sort of traditional academic way, but in a social emotional way and in so many ways um, that frankly, I as a parent deeply, deeply appreciate. Um, and so what I think is a, a really 
kind of standout aspect of this is that when teachers are voting to strike or or in fact striking, they're doing so for reasons that not because they don't want to be in the classroom, they want to be in the classroom, they want to be teaching and they are striking because the issues that have come to a head are critical for the students, families and communities that they serve. Um, and related, the parents and the communities are consistently across the board rallying behind their teachers. Um, and in fact, we just saw data come out earlier uh, this week, in fact, um, showing widespread support for this policy change across the Bay State, um, where you know more than two out of three, right? Better than two to one, um, more than two to one ratio support this bill. Um, and I think those are really important things. And that's not to say that, that we parents don't understand what it means to not be able to have your kids in school. We do get that, right? I get that too. I, I am a parent of, of elementary age kids. Um, we had to figure out what to do, particularly in those early days of COVID when nobody knew what we you know, what we were doing and we were all thinking, you know, building the plane as we were flying it, so to speak. And, um, and that's hard. And even knowing how hard that is, the parents and communities are still by significant majorities rallying around their teachers in support of their teachers. So I'm glad that you brought up the polling, Senator. So so the polling that you're referring to is from Northwind Strategies, um, and it found 67% of respondents at least somewhat supported strikes when asked, and we're big sticklers for the importance of uh, question phrasing here. Do you support or oppose allowing public school teachers to go on strike to fight for higher wages and improved working conditions? So Tom, how did that kind of poll result end up striking, for lack of a better word, you? Sure, listen. Having children go through schools, having grandchildren go through schools, I, I support the teachers 100%. Uh, they're there, and I think the, the senator is absolutely correct. They, they took this job uh, because they, they, they enjoy being with children, and they, a lot, they enjoy teaching what they teach. And so that's what we want, we want to have happen, no question about it. Um, I also know that being a superintendent and a principal for, for many years, there's a big distinction between being a classroom teacher and being part of a union. And most teachers don't like a strike. They just don't want to be out of the classroom. They want to be with children. And in many ways, it's really, you know, when I would ask a teacher a question, they'd sort of ask, say, say to me, well, do I give you, like, do I speak to this with my teacher hat on or my union hat on? And sometimes a lot of what gets directed in terms of the heat uh, around negotiations is that Teachers feel uncomfortable many way, in many ways uh, through this process. And unions pretty much direct. The leadership pretty much directs. Teachers generally are not going to fight where the union wants to go with respect to the collective bargaining agreement. A, a, a lot of uh, work that's going on with a minimum number of people gets presented to the membership or, or to the general public without really the insight of what's really deep in the weeds in terms of what goes on in those negotiations. So it, it, it all comes out to, to sort of a more heated moment uh, in terms of how these decisions get made. Uh, I think they leave everybody feeling very uncomfortable, uh, is does nothing to promote the culture of the school or the district, uh, which I believe, and, and certainly from my conversations with superintendents, can be very, have long-term damaging effects. 
So in Massachusetts, you know, public employees are allowed to collectively bargain, um, but not allowed to strike. Uh, traditionally, as as both of you have referenced, you know, the strike is one of uh, a union's most, I'd say, how do we put this neutrally, effective bargaining tools, uh, generally speaking. So what's the rationale for limiting the right to strike, uh, Senator, because your bill would limit it for the first six months? Look, I think, uh, you know, I, I just want to kind of circle back to something Tom just said, you know, um, it would be impossible just logistically for every teacher to be in the room as, as contract negotiations are going on. That's, that's just, I, I'm not sure we have rooms that big, right? We have a lot of teachers and, um, it's really hard to have a conversation with hundreds of people. And so you have to necessarily, um, you know, have some representatives, um, you know, helping those negotiations along. Um, but at the end of the day, a vote to strike is a vote among the entire membership of any union. Um, and and you know, to be clear, this bill is not just about um, public school teachers, right? This is about lots of public employees who are unionized. I myself was a unionized public employee um, in the executive branch before I was elected to the Senate. And um, you know, and and the right to strike is one of the most foundational rights for workers that we have. The reason that there's a six month period built into the bill is because I think everybody agrees that a strike should be a measure of last resort. Um, again, teachers want to teach, right? Employees want to be on the job. This is, this is, you know, people got into public service because they wanted to do public service, whether that's in a classroom or otherwise. Um, and, you know, so the six month provision in the bill um, and just for the listeners, that means you have to have good, the bill says you have to have good faith negotiations for a period of at least six months before a strike can even be considered. Um, and we wanted to really stress in the bill and show on its face that a strike is a measure of last resort when things have really broken down. There's just no other um, way to, <clears throat> excuse me, move forward at that stage of the game. Tom, do you think that the tools that teachers and paraprofessionals have to negotiate are are sufficient? Why not allow strikes as one of them? Well, you know, Massachusetts has pretty a pretty liberal law around collective bargaining. I mean, you compare that to anything national. Uh, you know, teachers have the ability to protest in a lot of different ways, um, and they do so. They can go to school committee meetings. They can go to you know town meetings. They can go to the the, the front steps of their elected officials. Uh, they have lots of ways that they can they can make their message known to the general public. Uh, I think the issue is not whether they have the tools. I think that do they use all the tools, right? So too often, for example, in, in examples this year, a, a number of cases where they choose not to go to mediation. Now, why wouldn't you use the mediation as a tool, bring bringing in an independent party to try to to bring the parties together in terms of really looking at it uh, or, or binding arbitration? I mean, there are tools that we have that are not being used. Uh, and, and my fear, and the fear I think for a lot of people is that if you create the law that says they can go immediately to strike after six months without using the tools that exist there, I mean, what you're doing is just, just disrupting a lot of lives, most importantly, to the lives of children. So, you know, I don't think the tools are all being used the way they, they were designed to be used. And, and I think there are other ways to deal with the, with the issue. So there must be some lessons that we've learned during the pandemic 
about this and about the way that we're kind of conceptualizing what a workplace would look like, the ways that you have available to kind of advocate for changes inside the workplace, but also the balance uh, between kind of making sure that there are teachers' concerns being met and then also kind of impact on families. So, uh, Senator, do you want to either respond to um, what Tom just said uh, or kind of dive into the pandemic aspects of the bill? Sure. You know, I I think, look, I I think we all probably agree that teachers do a lot um, and they do a lot in the classroom. They do a lot outside of the classroom. And so I wonder how... um, reasonable it is to expect our teachers to not only teach in the classroom and use their own personal funds um, often to supplement the materials that they don't have in the classroom, one of the things that that teachers have gone on strike over, um, to then also have to show up at school committee meetings and also have to show up in multiple different places in order to get their point across um, and to show those. And and I've actually had many conversations with with superintendents in my district and beyond who know readily and and totally agree that we are strapped for resources, that we have, um, you know, cost increases in certain ways that are really significantly um, impacting school budgets uh, for the upcoming fiscal years, um, that that are you know going to have potentially pretty significant negative repercussions. You know, which tools are reasonable to expect people to have to use in order to get the results that they need and deserve. And the the they I'm using there is quite broad, right? Not just the teachers, not just the paraprofessionals and the other staff in the schools, but also the children and the families and the communities at large. And, you know, striking and, and having that um, tool in your negotiating toolbox, I think is a really important factor to be able to um, even out the negotiating strength of both parties when they come to the table. Gotcha. Uh, And then let's take a pivot into the pandemic question, uh, which is, Tom, kind of to you, what lessons have you taken away from the past two and a half, three years at this point about um, kind of the role of schools as not just educational institutions, but also as uh, childcare facilities uh, and what kind of obligation that does or doesn't end up imposing? Yeah, uh, and it's an important question, right? Uh, we've gone through a really tough time, and you know, you cannot ask the teachers to do more than what they did during this period of time. I mean, it, it, there's just no question about that. And I think that, in part, I think that sort of plays into a little bit about just the climate that we're in right now, um, which I think is really difficult for at best. And it's it's not just for teachers; it's for everybody who's employed in the schools, principals, superintendents. They're exhausted, and 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 it's not over yet. Right. I mean, we th- would like to think that we're back to normal. We are not, not back to normal. All right. We still have a lot of dysregulated kids and adults. And sometimes I think the adults are a little bit more dysregulated than the kids are. Uh, so that's a big issue. Right. And, and, and the schools have to deal with that. Uh, we also have a political climate, which is, you know, we've never seen before in terms of the divisions that's created. Uh, and and this and there's the levels of sort of you know nasty hatred kind of uh, spewing of, of of ideals that, that I think we, we just haven't seen. So I think there's a sort of perfect storm in some ways uh, that has has kind of ad- added to the dimension of this. Um, you know I look back to the past eight years. You know we've had Janice decision 
that puts the unions in a whole different place in terms of having to prove their their worth to their members, right? That plays, I'm sure, to to the way in which unions think about, you know, it's not just local, it's national, in terms of how they play to their membership. Um, we have the issues that go on uh, in terms of the dysregulation they talked about. We have the economy. We have high inflation factor. So that's gonna play into that as well. Um, we have a lot of social justice issues, but I think it's just playing into, uh, not just the teacher, but I think for the, for, for the least for the MTA is playing into rightfully the issue about how do we uh, provide compensation for our paraprofessionals and aides who do a, a really important job in our school. So all of that is different. And our, and our membership, if you look at it, you know, where, where are these strikes? They're all happening with the MTA. They're not, the, I haven't seen an AFT Massachusetts strike yet. Not to say that there won't be one, but they're all coming out of MTA. So it's a leadership issue here too, in terms of the encouragement that's taking place uh, within some of these districts uh, in terms of how they proceed with uh, these issues of conflict. So that's, that's the climate. That's what we're dealing with. And um, it is not making it easier. Uh, and, 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 and perfectly, you know, one of the issues for me, and I deal with this on a daily basis, is I see superintendents under enormous stress. We're having really difficult time finding people to be school school superintendents. We're having hard time maintaining with our principals. Uh, we have seen a lot of, a lot of changing over our principalship. Uh, and we just don't have a pipeline for them right now. And part of that is, I mean, listen, it's hard for teachers for sure. And we're having pipeline issues there as well. But leading in these environments, because that's really where a lot of the, the, the you know, the, the, the issues go, um, is becoming really problematic. I'd love to just, just chime in. So I, let's, uh, again, point out some of the places where we agree, completely agree. We are not free of COVID. It's not actually over. We still have, I, I think we're going to continue to feel long-term ramifications from the peak of COVID for a very long time. Um, and, and you know, we're seeing uh, cases continue to come up in various different ways. Um, and I also completely agree with Tom that that the stress factor um, related to COVID is very real, um, both for adults and for children. Uh, you know, one of one of my um, personal priorities as a legislator has been youth mental health, and increasingly so. I've heard from students in my district directly who said we need uh, better and different mental health care, and you know that's why um, I worked so hard with with Samaritans to set up a youth only um, mental health tech. <laughs> called Hey Sam that anybody can text, by the way, um, just text Hey Sam and there'll be a youth on the other end of the text thread to respond. Um, and, you know, but I think the place where we start to differ is about the, um, the utility um, and benefits of unionization to help address some of those concerns, right? High um, unionization levels are associated with uh, positive economic, personal, and democratic outcomes. Um, unions have also been shown to help reduce gender and racial and ethnic wage gaps. And uh, I think we probably could all agree that a huge disproportionate impact of COVID fell on women and people of color um, in a variety of different ways, um, including probably among your paraprofessional um, paraprofessionals plural, uh, throughout various school districts all across the, the Commonwealth. And um, 
And I also think we can't deny or, or look away from the fact that teaching as a profession is still quite gendered. Um, and Jen, you, you know, you led us into this conversation with a question about um, schools effectively also being in some ways a method of childcare, which is highly gendered um, in terms of a profession and a work um, space and a, a sector. And, um, you know, that, that is historically, and I think even still today to a certain degree considered women's work. Um, and so we see uh, disparity in those wages and, and in the respect um, given to teachers and paraprofessionals. That's, I want to be clear, that's not coming from the superintendents. Um, you know, that's, that's a systemic thing that we have to grapple with as a society um, and, and continue to work on. Um, but it, it also shows why this bill is so important, why the work we're doing on youth mental health is so important. And actually that mental health support and providing more school counselors is one of the things that teachers have gone on strike over. And so thinking about the mental health aspect, I think that takes us pretty neatly into the question of impacts here, not just of uh, going on strike, but also, again, kind of the pandemic really, I think, shone a bright light on what happens when education structures and routines are disrupted. Uh, so what's the thinking, Tom, around uh, how to factor in uh, learning loss and also kind of disruptions to uh, family scheduling that can be created by strikes and ways that that might either be mitigated or if you think it can't be mitigated? Sure. Um, well, first, let me just say the senator has been a leader around the mental health issue, and that and that and that is one of the biggest issues that we face today. No, no question about it. We have seen remarkably different uh, re responses from youngsters, particularly young children, uh, who don't know how to manage some of that. Um, so, you know that that we we have great needs there. Um, so, I want to just reinforce that. Um, the other thing I would just say is. Um, the issue around you know unions and collective bargaining listen i benefited from unions my wife benefited from unions my daughter currently benefits from teacher union so this is not about the value of a teacher union it, it has a high value and we all recognize that i mean all of us as superintendents we we, we were there i i was i was on negotiation teams i i i know where that comes from uh, the, the, the point really is more about, you know, what's the marginal difference by having a strike? And, and I think that, you know, the superintendents I talk to who have gone through strikes, in most cases, I'll say all, in most cases, there's a marginal difference. There really isn't much of a difference when you go through it. The difference really happens to be the impact that it has on the culture of that school. Schools are pretty much collaborative institutions. The only way we make progress is by the way that we work together. When you have a strike, you have things happen in terms of the dynamics of those relationships, which is a, a huge schism, which doesn't just resolve itself after you know, the, when the strike is over. It continues over time. And there's a damaging effect to that. So when we talk about, you know, it's not the mental health part of this, but it certainly has to do with the overall climate. I would say in terms of getting to your point, Jen, about, you know, the sort of mental health issue, what I would say is that, you know, one of the reasons that, you know, I think a lot of us feel strongly that it's, it's really the wrong time to have a strike is we, 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 we have gone through such a difficult time for children to be missing school for any extended period of time is not a good idea. 
Um, you know, it presents certainly presents its own child care issues. Um, we understand that. But more importantly, schools, we've found out through through the pandemic, is a critically important social emotional experience. Uh, and you cannot make up the days. When you miss a week of school, you'd like to think that, oh, no, we'll make that up at the end of the year. There's no difference. There's no comparison between missing um, a week in January and trying to make it up at the end of June. Uh, so yeah, is, there, is there learning loss time? I believe there is. Is there a loss in terms of sort of the continuation of the relationships that are so important for children through the regular routines that they, that they, that they demand uh, by their own nature? Uh, I think it is disrupted. And, and I think those are important elements to this sort of, you know, social, emotional, mental health component. Before we go, I want to make sure to let uh, the senator kind of respond to the disruption question. Of course. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, there, there's a just a, a fact here that um, strikes and votes to strike yield better results faster for um, for teachers and students and communities at large. And that's been kind of proven every single time along the road here. Um, and we also can't ignore, while well, I appreciate the, the tension um, that, you know, that, that Tom is talking about, we also can't ignore the tension that comes from disgruntled staff, <laughs> right? Staff who aren't making enough money, staff who don't have enough ventilation in their classrooms, staff who don't have support, um, you know, and uh, and we have an educator shortage, right? Which started before COVID-19 um, and certainly was exacerbated by, uh, by the pandemic. And so when we have higher pay and better conditions and better supports, we also have uh, better quality of teachers and more retention um, and more consistency. So, um, and we also know that that kids uh, across the board have, uh, you know, higher needs now. Um, and so we need those mental health supports in classrooms and we need those uh, supplies and we need the, right, kids can't learn if they're hungry, uh, right? Kids can't learn if they are struggling with um, a mental health need. They just, they can't. <laughs> um, and, you know, and that's what the teachers are fighting for. Um, and that's what they are trying to get at, right? Nurses, counselors, healthy meals, ventilation, all of these things are really critical to the learning environment and good pay and um, good benefits, which many, many of our teachers have, um, and we are getting closer for our paraprofessionals, um, but we're still not there, right? Paraprofessionals um, typically started a salary of only $22,000 a year. Um, that's just, that's just, really tough to live on. And, um, you know, we, we can't, we can't ignore all of the complexity that comes into this particular situation and the needs that in fact, the folks who have gone out on strike, um, are seeking to address and in fact are addressing them through these, uh, collective actions. Uh, and did you want to add anything on kind of how you balance those, you know, legitimate concerns with, the the sort of practical disruption uh that can be kind of caused just during the period of i'm thinking of course woburn it didn't go into two weeks it did you know a uh, one week strike so kind of what the impacts of that sort of delay end up looking like as tom raised kind of you have to make that up somewhere 
Yeah, well, I'm not sure I would characterize it as a delay. Um, you know, I, I I think back to when I was a kid, there was a giant snowstorm and we missed a whole week of school in October. Um, and it was, we, there was so much snow, we could actually jump out the second story window and land in the snow. It was just massive. It was really early. Um, and we sort of like it. we made it up at the end. And, you know, as I said earlier in our conversation today, I get it. I get how hard it is when, you know, kids can't be in school. I am a parent of, of public school students, a proud public school student parent um, and a product of public schools myself. Uh, you know, my father was a teacher. Uh, I, um, I get that. I get that in so many ways, both as a senator and as a mom. And, um, and I think we've provided for a balance in the bill by putting in that six month period that says you have to negotiate in six months, you know, for a period of six months in good faith to try to get to that resolution um, before anybody even thinks about um, a strike, right? Strikes are a last resort. Okay, I think we could all probably talk about this for another three hours, but we do not have the time. So thank you so much to Senator Becca Rausch and to Tom Scott, Executive Director of the Massachusetts Association of School Superintendents. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us, and we'll be back next week.